Deepoon only did reactionaries for me. I'll tell you that story. Huh. He okay. didn't never wrote one song for the reactionaries. Oh, I didn't Minute know that. Minute Man, he was, well, that's why we're talking. So that's I can true. enlighten you this shit. <laughs> we already got the documentary, We Jam Econo. So right. I'm trying to fill in the things maybe that are lacking there. Welcome to Discography, the podcast that gives Gen X music maniacs a chance to smell like teen spirit again by connecting with the Brotherhood obsessed with rating the entire discography of every single artist and band that ever mattered. I'm your host, Dave Gebro, and with three new episodes each week, you're going to gain a comprehensive knowledge of an act's history and output in the time it takes to listen to one album. And in this episode, we'll be turning our spray cans on the Minutemen, along with our unbelievably special guest, Mike Watt himself, who will be sifting through the sacred transmissions issued forth from his younger self and rating them all, every last LP, EP, and single from zero to five stars. In this episode, Watt talks with Discography about the importance of the punk scene at the time and the impact it had on the Minutemen's sound, Watt's biggest bass influences ever, and their batshit crazy first gig, from which D. Boone's dad had to rescue them. Coming up, we've got John Worcester talking about his favorite live albums of all time, Mark Robinson from Unrest rating everything he's ever done, Robert Schneider from the Apples in Stereo rating everything he's ever done, and Will Hart from the Olivia Tremor Control rating everything they ever did. Oh, and Michelle Phillips rating everything she's ever done, alongside Mamas and Papas author Richard C. Campbell, who's written a brand new book about him getting kind of itchy. So don't miss out. Open up your listening app right now and subscribe. And for a significantly longer director's cut of this interview that's both ad-free and available a week ahead of time, along with the complete versions of all our shows, just go to patreon.com slash and subscribe. Even if you're not sure, just head on over there because it's finally completely free to become a basic member. We've got 100 episodes available exclusively on Patreon, and that number, as well as the discography inner circle is growing exponentially by the day that's patreon.com slash discography and away we go then tonight's guest can say with the straightest of faces that he was a member of one of the greatest bands of all time he can also say if the urge strikes that he appears on two of the greatest double albums of all time not many can lay claim to that his manically melodic fleet-handed bass runs are the thing of legend, and that legend began when the punk scene somehow midwifed the Minutemen in good old San Pedro, California in 1980. Throughout its existence, the band recorded four albums and eight EPs, and he's also gifted us with four solo albums, four with former wife Kira Rosler as the duo Dose, another three as part of the punk jazz jam band Banyan with Jane's Addiction, Stephen Perkins, Wilco's Nelson. Klein and the Beasties Money Mark Nishida, not to mention killing it as the bassist for the Stooges in 2003. Baking loaves of Wonder Bread for nigh on 45 years so as to keep us mealy-mouthed superfans wondering and wondering with that uniquely ground-out blend of punk, funk, hard rock, calypso, hell, you name it and hell motherfucking train wreck it. Lads and ladies out there pounding the corn dog littered pavement of downtown Pedro it's one of the most preternaturally important people to ever breeze through 
through the music game. The first person to talk in third person, Mike Watt. David, thank you for having me aboard. What do I even say? I'm talking to Mike Watt. That's all you got to say, really. I'm so fucking psyched. Your music is just one of those kinds of music that really, really helped me through high school. I had a lot of bands that I loved, but there were some that were crucial. It was actually Minutemen, Sonic Youth, R.E.M., who you, your final tour with the Minutemen. But you mean so much to me. So this means so much to me, man. Again, thank you for having me aboard. I'll try my best with the spiel. Obviously, you know, when I have someone on who's rating their, their own discography, it's got to be a thing where I love the band or else it gets very awkward. So that is definitely in play today. Let me ask you about that. Didn't I rate them in an email back to you? You did. Oh, okay. Yeah, you <laughs> because did. I don't, you know, the way they get you in perjury, right? They have you testify and then they, <laughs> so I can't remember exactly. I think I rated double nickels on the dime the best. So. I think you gave that one star, right? I'm kidding. Nobody in the history of music has given that album one star. Let's talk about the characters in today's episode, just in case somebody's listening to this and was born under and remained under a rock. We have guitarist, vocalist D. Boone, Dennis Boone, bassist, vocalist Mike Watt, yourself, and drummer George Hurley. The thing that makes you the most special, I believe, and the craziest thing I've never been able to get over it with you guys, is you're all fucking virtuosos. Most bands, if they get one D. Boone type figure, which is already an impossibly lofty and unachievable ideal, then the other guys in the band can't possibly be as good. You know, like Jimi Hendrix, right? Because that's how the odds work in life. But you were all as good as one another, which just seems impossible. It seemed then, and in retrospect, even more so. You're talking about us trying out all these styles. That's what the movement said to us. Like, it's okay to let the freak flag fly. Forget yeah. all the bins in the chain store. That's what the movement taught us. It wasn't really about a certain kind of sound, not even a look. You went and made up your own outfit, got your own fake name. It really attracted us. You, you understand, we grew up as boys in the 60s. So we saw a lot of the civil rights, anti-war, free speech. And then when 70s come along, right, we're 13 in 1970. Man, that was gone and arena rock had taken over. We never got to experience club life. So... Rock and roll to us had gotten reduced to like a Nuremberg rally experience. T-Rex, the first show that you saw? First gigs that me and D. Boone saw. We didn't meet Georgie till high school and really got to know him right after high school when we started the band. He wasn't actually in the first version of the Minutemen, but we did have a band right before Minutemen called Reactionaries. Yeah. But 1974, no, it was 73. <laughs> Get it straight, why? <laughs> me and D. Boone saw our first gig and it was an arena rock show. It's now tore down. It was a Long Beach Auditorium. It's where Don Kirshner's rock concerts, some of that stuff was filming. And it was T-Rex, you're right. It's a slider tour. We really dug T-Rex. I love the slider. I think it's underrated because it's in the shadow of Electric Warrior, but it's just as good, I think. They're both good, and he played yeah. tunes from both, but it was way different than the records. Because yeah. he'd play like the first couple minutes, they'd get on his knees and do 10 minutes of guitar solo like Jimmy. It was really a trip. But he was so little. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, not among other men. Man, just the idea of arena rock. The guy's like what? He's like thirty second of an inch. Yeah. yeah it's, <laughs> no, but it is from where we're sitting, and now this place only held like three thousand. But it's nothing like what we would experience with the movement. Because you know when I meet D Boone, right? His mom puts me on the bass. I didn't know what a bass was. I wasn't close enough. 
But yeah. when I saw the germs and Lorna Doom, I could tell exactly what. A, no wonder there's only four strings. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if these were bass influences for you, but the breadth of influences that you guys were pulling from really speaks to me. Because if there's one thing that's far flung and, you know, not easily categorizable about discography, it's that we have the association one week and then the next week it's punk legend Mike Watt. We're all over the map because music is fantastic period just like you that's said that's right that's right it's a fabric that connects us humans in a trippy way like a lot of the arts and expression it also helped us embrace the movement yeah you guys were proficient at what you did which at the time was anathema you had guiding ah, lights. yeah but david you got to understand the people we met in the 70s when we went up to Hollywood to see these punk shows. You could tell socially maybe awkward, you know, the funny clothes, the fake names, but they were deep in the music. Remember, I first heard John Coltrane from Raymond Pettibone. He plays me Ascension. I thought it was an older punk rocker. I didn't know the dude was dead. I knew nothing about that scene. You talk to Dom, you know, the Germs drummer, Dom Bowles. I know and, well. And, well, he's at the Capitol Records swap meet. Byron Coley, these people know albums that were there, only 100 were printed up. It was a deep scene as far as music with these cats. And it was yeah. a small scene. How many bands were started at an arena rock show and how many bands were started at a club? Right. The legendary one, that Sex Pistols show in 76. There was like 100 bands that came out of that. It Just because it's accessible, it looks like, hey, I could do that. But the thing is with you guys... Nobody said, hey, I could do that. Nobody. Well, we just thought this was like the Annie. This is what you had to tithe to get into this situation. You had to bring something, yeah. you know, that was kind of not a cookie cutter, rubber stamp, Xerox or something else. There's enough of that. Yeah. So another thing that always killed me about your material is the production. If there is distortion, I'm not hearing it. There's no tricks. Well, a lot of that's Spotsky, right? And then later on, Ethan James, two cats that really believed in music. You know, John Coltrane said a musician could tell what's the truth. You can tell yeah. when you play a phony note. Well, Spotsky and Ethan James were totally into that. And we had no idea how to record ourselves. So we let those cats. It was basically for us like a gig in front of the microphones. Yeah. To me, that is what's truly insane, because that might have been Spotsky and Ethan James philosophy about recording. But if you guys weren't good at what you played, it would become extremely apparent at that point. No pedals. It's most kind, of you. <laughs> it's most yeah, kind no. of you. Well, you know, it's true. I'm not going to break my arm pat myself on the back but we tried our hardest we thought it was bitching that you know we meet these guys handing out flyers at a gig and i don't know a year later we're sst002 right so is it mostly single takes that you're doing of songs as well or are you doing multiple takes no like i said it's like a gig in front of the microphones we're even recording in order so we don't have to spend money on sequencing we jammy kind of wasn't just a slogan man that was a way of doing stuff so you would buy used tape which was half price yeah. you would come in and what it was called downtime from midnight to 7 a.m sure that was half price yeah everything was economy so not a lot of time for other takes no okay so speaking of that there's a question the venerable john worster who i'm sure you know right he's a beautiful drummer man yeah so john as a member of the psych punk band psychotic norman shared bills with you in 1984 and he wrote in on the sst records artists video audio and picture group on facebook and asked mike visited the studio when super chunk was recording on the mouth sadly he had to watch us do what i think was the most takes we ever attempted of a song 
song, our cover of Adam and the Ants, Beat My Guest. This leads to my question. What's the most takes the Minutemen ever did of a song? I can't imagine it was very many. Well, I'll tell you this. That one side Spotsky did of Buzzer Howell Under the Influence... That's live to two track. That's yeah. not even, Spotsky didn't even mi- remix it, right? It's what it is. That's so there amazing. was a lot of that. The last record we did was called Three Way Tie for Last. Sure. With Ethan James. And I think we were trying to be more careful with that. But for me, that record ends up being our worst. <laughs> and nobody's fault. It's just, you know, Chuck D said, right? Life comes in cycles. Old as new. No, I ain't no psycho. But Project Mercer, when I think the Minutemen, we were coming out of a valley, I think the record after Three Way Tie was going to be incredible. It was going to be a triple album, half of it live. Yeah. And so I think maybe it was being careful helped ruin it. I'll tell you what that record's really missing. It's George Hurley's words. He stops writing his words after Double Nickels on a Dime. We're going to get to that record. I don't want to overshoot the approach here. Uh, Well, you were asking me about how many takes. And I think that's yeah. one. And maybe Project Mersh, which we did with Joe Carducci, helped produce because he wanted us to make something, you know, on purpose Mersh, which is a well for Moto, right? Yeah, for Moto, it was a hundred dollars a pound shit. And so we made fun of that, right? I got, I got it. We'll have them write hit songs. D Boone made a painting for the cover. Hi, I'm Dave Gebro. I threw my career as a licensed hearing instrument specialist in the trash, sold my house, and moved to the East Coast with my wife and four-year-old son in order to focus on making the ultimate podcast for music obsessives thrive. Now I need your help. Although Discography is rated in the top 2% of all podcasts globally, the economics of this thing are tricky. Becoming a member of Discography's Patreon gives you access to over 100 more exclusive episodes. And moving forward now, every Sunday for only $5 a month as a private first class, you get our new weekly show by and for Discography's Patreon family, the Discography Soldiers of Sound podcast. It'll be hosted by Rudy Fishman, and given his sociopathic tendencies, I'm sure it'll have a lunatic's take over the asylum edge to it. If all you want to do is show some love, there's now finally a $1 tier. Don't miss out. Become a recruit and get your personal personalized backstage pass for a buck and for the cheapskates homeless people and all the bums sponging off mom and dad don't care just join it's now completely free to join as a basic member and it'll be the only place you'll be able to get our upcoming lou barlow Corey hansen mark robinson comp metal machine muzak as well as the triple album rock opera El Farmony i created with joe kennedy as the mentally regarded and the ability to purchase one-off patreon episodes that's it back to the show when I met D. Boone, you know, we're 12 years old. I just had to leave Navy housing here in Pedro, moved into the new Proj, which was next to the old Proj, where he lived by the biggest park in Pedro, Peck Park. You know, there's a documentary called We Jam Econo. You can I've see it for it. free on YouTube. I just re-saw it, but I'm a filmmaker, and when it came out, I was in Germany, and I saw a sneak preview of it at the Oldenburg Film Festival in 2005. Oh, that's when it came out, yeah. yeah. Now, when I meet D. Boone, the only rock band he's heard is Creed's, so... I learned all six records. You know, fuck Mardi Gras. That ain't a Creedence record. Sweet Hitchhiker's good. Well, Mardi, but, Mardi Gras is kind of amazing because... Yeah, but they know Tom. And really, no. it was t- the older brother's band anyway. John kind of took it from... But anyway, this is interesting, you might find. Like I said, his mother, first day, we, he brings me to the house, which is the second day I met him. You're going to be bass. You guys going to have a band. I don't know what a bass is. And at this time, I don't start really playing a bass with big strings until I'm 15 years old. First couple of years, I'm playing a guitar with four strings because I think that's what a bass is. I don't understand 
understand that bass means lower. This right. is how fuck disgusting arena rock is. You are so detached and away from the real event that you don't even know a bass means lower. But you got to love all that stuff about you stringing the strings tight or loose or all that stuff is the stuff of legend because it's the naivete combined with the incredible prowess that makes you guys the Minutemen. <laughs> you're, very kind, you're very kind about that. Oh, hi, Dave again. I got to tell you about the next tier. As a lieutenant, you get an ad-free, substantially elongated director's cut of every episode. And you'll be getting the shows an entire week early from now on. And now back to our expertly crafted program. We Jamie Cano. Well, that comes from a lyric in a song I wrote called The Politics of Time. Oh, sure. And it's on Double Nicks on the Dime. But it actually comes from the vans that Ford used to make. They stopped making them in 2014. They were called Econo Lines. Yeah. Because we learned touring from Black Flag. Our first big tour was in the boat with them, you know. They would do four-month, 100-gig tours. That's where we learned the stuff, which is actually going back to vaudeville. So I think maybe they might have had their own word for work in the room. We just happened on we Jamie Cano by taking, you know, the van and, and then us. You got to realize me and D Boom were working the uh, what you call that French cooking place, Jacques in the Box. Yeah, <laughs> here at Pedro, dollar sixty five an hour, eleven to right. seven weekends. What they call it, graveyard shift. I'm washing yeah. pots and pans for a dollar twenty an hour. It was Econo. I buy my first Volkswagen for three hundred bucks when I moved out. Is that the, is that the one on the cover of Double Nickels? That's not my first one. Okay. That's my third one. Okay. I only got them one at a time, okay? <laughs> I ended up having five of them. But yeah, that was Joe Carducci's idea that somehow we should work our vehicles. That's another metaphor because being so econo, we had to work on them ourselves. That's kind of like what we did with our music. You work yeah. on yourself. The lyrics, they sound like someone reading from and shouting random phrases from a leftist newspaper, which to me veers from heartbreaking to hysterically funny on a dime. Nobody writes lyrics like you guys. You also have a very Pedro-centric, uh, you know, I mean, just as Hawthorne creates the California myth, you guys have a California myth. Yeah, um, what's funny is none of us are from Pedro. We all <laughs> come here as boys. Right, I'm born in Virginia. I come here when I'm nine. D-Boom, born in Napa. He's Cali, though, but he don't get here till he's six. Same with Georgie, but he's from Brockton, Massachusetts. So just nice. like that far northwest bayou John Fogarty was born on. Right. Art is about transcending reality. People say keeping it real. No, it's used for pretending because maybe you want to get beyond where you're stuck. On the other hand, Pedro is like a thermos bottle. I remember when we started playing gigs, people said, you got to move to Hollywood. 30 miles north of us, we're in the harbor, right? DeBoon says, if we move to Hollywood, what are we going to write songs about? Huh. I, said, I, I said, I don't know, maybe Hollywood. That's right. They already got bands doing that. Let's just stay in Pedro, and we could drive to gigs in Hollywood. Traffic so, wasn't as bad then. <laughs> well, do you remember previous to meeting D when you were 13? What was your flashpoint? 12. Moment? I was 12 when I met him. It was the summer oh, between okay. grade school and junior high. What was your own flashpoint? moment of creative epiphany, your holy shit moment. It was before D, right? I mean, when you realized you were going to spend the rest of your life doing this. No, no. His mom put me on bass. There is no before D Boone as far as me making music. So this is a segment of the show that I like to affectionately call the run-up, which gets us in as much a We Jam Econo style as possible up to the first note you ever released. So Dennis Dale Boone, D Boone, you guys are 12, right? You're walking through a park in the mythically notorious hometown of Pedro. Peck Park. Peck Park. Peck Park. The biggest park. D's mom took control. 
told you to play the bass. And we got to back up a little bit. You got to okay. describe the meeting, okay? I'm walking through the park because that, that new project is butts upside of it. So does the old project. And this guy jumps out of a tree on me and he thinks I'm his neighbor Eskimo. Nickname. He's a really cool cat. I, mean, I think Richard Cervantes, and, you know, it was a long time ago. Anyway, I'm not Eskimo. And he puts on his glasses, really thick glasses. Oh, I said, I just moved here. You want to see my pad? So we start walking across the big baseball field there, right? Three diamonds where I just moved. And on the way, he starts reciting these little bits, little spiels, one after another. And I'm thinking, this is the smartest motherfucker in the world. And I show him my pad. He says, look, now tomorrow, I want you to come and see my pad. So, okay. He comes up, gets me. We walk down to his pad. He plays me this cassette. He had taped off the television, George Carlin. He had bit all those bits. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> None of them. He didn't make any of them up. Was it Class Clown? Do you remember which one it was? He used a cassette machine to record these off the TV. Got so it. it was okay. George Carlin on a TV performance. Later, I did hear those records that you're talking about, but this was from a cassette. And anyway, it was too late. I was already smitten with him, even though he didn't, he wasn't original about any of them. He sold yeah. it, man. He said, what, bought it? He sold and that's where his ma says, you're going to have a band and you're going to be the bass player. So, okay, I'm listening to music. I know more about rock and roll than Dee Boom, but I'm not really making it until I start. Now, we don't really start making music. you got to understand the mentality. This is 1970. We're ready to be 13. I'm at the end of the year, right? December. So there is nobody in town who writes their own songs. Everybody tries to copy shit off records. So that's where we were. We never tried writing our own. I wrote one song as a teenager, Mr. Bass, King of Outer Space. And it was about somehow doing a bass solo where the rest of the band gets blown up. Look, you got to understand bass in those days with arena rock days. That's where you put the retarded friend. <laughs> that was like right, right field in Little League, right where nobody hits the ball, right? You, you read about this with John Lennon, that guy before Paul McCartney, right? It was just his buddy he wanted in a band, right? And all the best stories about the greatest music ever made is, in my experience anyway, about the love between men, women too, but I think maybe because it's a verboten thing or was anyway until more recently. It really radiates from your music. The Beatles is the same way. This is the outpouring or the mementos of a love affair between two men and the platonic awesomeness inherent in that. Then we do a gig first year of high school. It's at the jetty here at Cabrillo Beach. And it was right after a football game. This guys that were a couple years older, they asked us to open. We played their stuff. We start playing. We're so bad that people throwing rocks and everything. You know, it's at the beach and stuff. So they got all the ammunition there. <laughs> throwing stuff. Dee Boone Pop has to come through the crowd in this pickup truck right up to the lip of the stage. We jump in and he rescues us. Oh, my God. It's it was like a disaster. It's like fucking Altamont. Kind of like that, but nobody got stabbed. One time we're trying to, I think we're trying to get tie your mother down by queen mm -hmm. and we're all sweaty and we come out it's just before they tear down the barracks at fort macarthur lower reservation it's a marina now here in pedro so that's all gone but I mean, we come out and this guy wearing a cotex around his neck and his hair all out comes walking by he says you know there's a scene up in hollywood where people play their own songs and we're like what and he ends up being Nicky Beat. He's the drummer for the Weirdos. And he says, yeah, on Sundays, 
these bands, three bands for four dollars, four bands. And we went up and saw the bags because of that prac and Nikki Beat coming in here and that. And then enlighten us to the fact you can try and write your own songs, which was the big attraction to us for the movement, besides all this kind of open mindedness about different music kinds of things. Yeah. It was this idea of using music as a form of expression. Before it was like building models, you know, like kind of right. looks like the real thing, but it was nothing about getting shit from your spirit or your heart out to other people. Yeah. It was just something me and D. Boone did to be, like you were saying, friends and together. So when George comes on board, George Hurley comes on board and says, George is really important. You got to understand. The problem me and D. Boone had growing up in Proge and being Econo, the older Proge is where he was. Joe Boone could play drums in the bedroom and stuff. But man, we, it was a hard time for me and D. Boone playing with drummers. Georgie turned his shed in the back of his pad into a drum prac room. So not only was he a beautiful man, and also he was learning. What he was doing in that shed was building surfboards. He was okay. really pop. And this was another trip. He was very popular, Pedro High. Me and D. Boone were way outsider guys. For Georgie to embrace this freaked everybody out. Why you like these two idiots? Because Georgie <laughs> wanted to play drums, man. So he yeah. buys two records. He buys, what's the one with Happy Jack? Yeah, Happy Jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then he buys this one from Billy Cobham, right? Spectrum. Oh, so yeah. like Fusion guy, right? And, this is, and he buys a set of headphones and he teaches himself drums with those I two have, records. I have to tell you, as far as punk funk goes, it's a genre that I have zero interest in. But you guys, the way that you guys do it, and it's like the first time it's done. David, I got to explain that. I got to explain that. How D. Boone saw the Minuteman being a political band is not in the words. He thought the words was just thinking out loud. He thought the real political part of our band, and Nels Klein talks about it in that Jamie Kano documentary. Because remember, our experience with music ain't clubs. It's arena rock. Like I said, Nuremberg rally shit, you know. Yeah, yeah. So here, here's what happens. So when you become a major, you get yet another show on Wednesday. Either Discography's The Top Ten, our Buried Treasure show, Rock Cousteau, our Slag Off show, Queasy Listening, or exclusive limited series like The Private Press with Paul Major. And if you've got no financial worries to speak of, keep in mind that some of the higher Patreon tiers allow you to actually advertise on the show, choose the bands we cover, or even some of the guests we get. For the price of a cup of coffee a week, you can ensure my family's fed, build a music library that'll be the envy of your block, and connect to a thriving community of music maniacs all at the same time. Don't risk feeling badly about yourself by not giving. Patreon.com slash Discograffiti. Once again, that's Patreon.com slash Discograffiti. The movement starts, right? We see these gigs, the bags, you know, and after that we start seeing gigs and like, I want to make a punk band. And you don't know what it was like in those days to even like punk, man. People hated you from blocks away just to call you names and shit. Anyway, I want to make a band. And we have this thing called The Recycler. And you live in Cali. You might have known this, or maybe you're too young. But it was a paper that came out on Thursdays where people could run ads for free. Maybe a print version of Craigslist or some shit. Right. And so there'd be ads in there for bands, you know, wanted a bass player. 
So I answered one of these ads when D Boom wouldn't make a punk. He said, No, I don't want to make one of those bands. You know, I don't know why, but he just did at first, at first. So I answered an ad and I went up. It was in West Hollywood on Sunset Boulevard. A guy named Chris, it was the daddy's electric shop and they were practicing there. The boyfriend and girlfriend was the singer and the guitar. And we get this we just do I want to be your dog for three hours. Not even the other part, <laughs> just the first part for three <laughs> hours. And they go, Man, we really like you. And I had never played with anybody except one time I played with a guy at a talent show because he was the best bass player in Pedro, but he wanted to play piano. So he had me do a simple part to a Stevie Wonder song. But I'd never played with anybody besides D Boone. So I get home and I tell D Boone, man, I jam with dudes. I want Stooges for three hours and they liked me. And he says, okay, I'll make a band with you. <laughs> so I had to tell those people, look, I got to be with my friends. So thank you so much for wanting to be with me, but we're going to make a band. So that's why he did Reactionaries. Okay. 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 I wrote all those songs. Those are my first songs after the, you know, that lame one I already told you. But they were lame too. But it's my first time. You got to learn somewhere. You know, you don't get on the skateboard and start pulling ollies. Okay. In December, Deep Boone says to me, I want to start the real band now. Hmm. So he says, I want you to make a list of names that we can call the band. I know a welder. Dee Boone goes to Harbor College, a little community college in Wilmington next door to Pedro. That's Frank. He's taking a drawing class. He meets a welder man named Frank Tonchi. Frank Tonchi, like with Georgie, he's got a pad to play drums. He's living in his sister's backyard in a little house because that's what me and Dee Boone need. We got no place to prac, right, with a drummer. So, yes. The first two gigs is with Frank Tonchi. Because Georgie, in the meantime, after the reactionaries broke up, joined a Hollywood band called Hey Taxi. But after two gigs with Frank Tonchi, he comes from a polka band, the Polish Eagle band. You know? mm -hmm. So he knows how to play and stuff, but he don't know about the scene so much. And like I said, you had to have been there in those days how hated punk was. It right. really was. And so after two gigs, he said, no, I'm out. But luckily... For us, Hey Taxi breaks up and Georgie's free. And in that second gig, Greg Ginn says, do you want to be SSTOO2? So he gives us the opportunity to record. Georgie learns all the songs in three weeks. And in July of 1980, we record Paranoid Time. I'm actually going to consider the George Liss EP the first. It's not your first release, but chronologically, that's the, I try to do everything chronologically. It's a practice cassette that uh, sure. Byron Coley put out on his forced exposure thing. Which I think is still pretty awesome. It's not just of archival interest. It's pretty fucking awesome. Before we actually get into the meat and potatoes of your discography, one of the most mind-blowing things to me, which, you know, at the time is totally understandable based on the industry, is that you guys toured all the time, but during the entirety of the Minutemen's history, you all held down day jobs. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a fucking mind-blower to me. It really is. Well, we all lived on our own for a little while. When I was having knee surgery, me and Dee Boone lived for a few months with my ma, but, you know, living on your own. And uh, even though things were Morikano in those days and you got paid Morikano, you still had to do it, right? And the music thing, we never thought of it as something you could make a living at. With that kind of wild music, it seemed like when, you would have to compromise first... it too much. And we didn't think we would have much success trying to copy the people who were successful. So might as well just ride with this movement and let our freak flag fly. That's the tr one of the big okay. tragedies besides losing my buddy yeah. about the Minutemen, because we're just starting to turn that corner. Yeah.
Ever wondered what your favorite bands talk about after the gig on the long van ride between Reno and Salt Lake City? Do you miss having in-depth conversations about music with your closest friends, picking apart why some songs are good and why some miss the mark completely? Do you read every inch of the available liner notes and still shake a fist at the clouds yelling for more? Damn it, more? If any of this sounds familiar, 1001 Album Complaints is the podcast for you. Every week, musicians and close friends give irreverent but informed takes on a new classic album pulled randomly from the book 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. The hosts do extensive research telling the stories behind your favorite records and helping you better understand how songs, both great and terrible, were conceived and built from the ground up. In short, it's a deep dive with lots of laughs. So if you want to sound informed and funny when talking about music, I recommend you follow or subscribe to 1001 Album Complaints right now. It's available everywhere. It's not the first release, but the first recording was done in March 1980. That's not a recording like a studio. That's practice cassettes so we can learn the songs. No, I know that. I know. And and if there's anything... You might know that, David, but people hearing it might think that we went into Radio Tokyo or Wisposky and... Wasn't that? No, it's, I know it came out eight years after Deed passed away. The first four no, songs. No, but it was never made to be like a recording to be released. No, it was stuff to practice to. But you know, Minutemen put out a whole album of that, of live songs that never made it to studio recordings called yeah. The Politics of Time. Sure. So the, the Georgia's EP, I give it three stars. You give it four stars. It's not intended to be a studio release or anything like that. No, it's, it's right. like Politics of Time. If you're a completist for Minuteman, you might want yeah. to know the whole enchilada. Right, exactly. So this is phase one, half a minute men, 1980 to 1982. December 1980, the Paranoid Time EP comes out. It was recorded in July. Recorded in July, came out in 80, right. July yeah. 20th. We recorded and mixed it one night, $300 I paid for it. Media Art, Hermosa Beach, Spotsky was the engineer man. Greg Ginn produced. You have your, you know, what you call your ethics down pat. It's never really violated through the history of the Minutemen. Even when you were experimenting with you know what you call merch sounds that's us laughing at ourselves with project merch yeah I absolutely love this release. You know, it's an incredible thing. You know, these songs are basically like half a minute long on average. Oh, let me tell you about that. That's not our idea. We got that from Wire's album, Pink Flag. Right. And this is the reason. What we loved about the movement was finding these cats who had never learned how to play, just get in front of people, let the freak flag fly. You know what it reminds me of? Introducing the Beatles, the VJ record. They went in, they threw down their whole set. They left with shredded vocal cords, and they had what they needed. I'm guessing that was your intention. Yeah, gig in front of the microphones. Yeah, it was pretty trippy. It was very exciting. Very exciting. Then right after that, we make the Joy EP with Mike Patton. I think Joy actually came out before Punchline, even though it wasn't recorded yet, because we found out being in the movement wasn't just having a band. It was making labels. It was doing zines. D. Boone does a zine called The Pro. We make a label called New Alliance Records and NAR 003. First two are compilations with all us and our friends. And then 003 is Joy EP we do with Mike Patton. I'm really curious, you know, this selection of songs. I mean, these are songs that have been covered by other artists. Sickles and Hammers There's a great Sebado cover. Definition 
Sessions is a great, oh, it's loaded with great songs. I'm curious if at the time you guys were just plowing ahead or did you guys think at the time, wow, we just created something amazing? Or was it more of a retrospective thing looking back at it? We felt part of a movement. I remember D Boom once saying, look, we can play anything we want just as long as we're the minimum. Yeah. But beyond that, we felt like, you know, we're in this thing with Black Flag, with the DOA, Flipper. The germs had just stopped, but we really looked up to the band. The Dills had just stopped. We really looked up to that band. Huge influence. Maybe the Bags did too. So even though those guys might have just disappeared and stuff, their echo was reverberating through us. That's the way we felt. We felt secure enough in us having our own sound that we could join together with these cats in solidarity without trying to be all the same band playing the same song. You know what I mean? All right, that about does it. And by the way, I gave that one four and a half stars and he gave it four. Stay tuned because part two of What Rates the Minutemen will be coming at you next week. A heartfelt discography thanks goes out to Watt, my beautiful wife and son, Jen and Mason, Tim Bugby for hooking this up, Rudy Fishman, my incredibly loyal fans, and especially the entire Patreon community, the Soldiers of Sound. I love every last one of you, and this show would not exist without you, my friends. Speaking of friends, it's high time for some new ones. They're in our Facebook group, Discography Soldiers of Sound. That's the best way to find out what's coming up on the show, but there's a hell of a lot more. You you get recaps of the day in music history, the ability to pitch questions to guests, polls that put you in the driver's seat on guest and band decisions, and access to a thriving creative hub if you're looking for a collaborator. So make sure you don't miss out. You can find the link to the Discography Soldiers of Sound Facebook page right there in the show notes. And if you don't mess with the Zuck, no sweat. Just email me at info at discography.com and I'll keep you in the loop. So now that it's done and you want more, another way to dive even deeper into the endless kick in the nuts pleasure of punk and post-punk is to dive headfirst into the David Pajo series, including the man himself rating Slint's discography. That's episodes 94 to 101. No Ages Randy Randall rating the Jesus Lizard. That's 70 and 71. Along with a searing, soul-bearing interview with No Ages Randy Randall. That's episode 88. Then there's Bob Nastanovich rating Pavement. That series runs from 49 to 58. Our stupidly popular episode about Nirvana. That's number 30. The replacements with Bob Mayer, 28 and 29. And then 18 is the Pixies. Join us during the upcoming week for Discography's week-long Minutemen Celebrate Hanukkah Deep Dive. Of course, if you're a Patreon subscriber, then you're already a week ahead of the action and you're listening to Watt Part 2. But then there's this Wednesday's incredible Patreon-only episode of Discography's The Top 10. This week's list features the indomitable Joe Kennedy and focuses on our Top 10 songs about having gratitude. Make sure you visit patreon.com slash discography and check out the thematically related deep dive as a music obsessive's way of life. Our Patreon's been up and running for a year, and with a whole bunch of episodes a week coming at you, there are now over 100 Patreon episodes. That's an entire universe of indispensable music podcasts, decidedly not content, available to you for the price of a cup of coffee a week. And it's free to become a basic member, so go there and do that. And of course, be sure to mark your calendars, because next Friday, December 15th, we're coming at you with Watt Part 2. Trust me, 
You're not going to want to miss it. And so, from now till then, don't let our youth go to waste, lads and ladies. It's Discography. Discography.